0: Would you please remain standing and join me in reciting the Shema, which our Lord Jesus would have recited every day of his life. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture this morning is from the fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 43. Hear now the words of our Lord. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. These are the very words of our Lord. Please be seated. This morning, we remember that horrible day 15 years ago um, where terrorists attacked our country in what many call the worst attack on our soil since Pearl Harbor. I was in school at the time and I remember the morning we were going to class and it was a normal September morning, early in the school year, much like this one. And we headed across the quad and I ran into one of my classmates He said, did you hear on the news? They're not sure what happened, but a plane flew into the World Trade Center. And at this time, they still thought it was a small passenger plane and they weren't clear what was going on. And a little confused, but still very calm, we headed into class. It was an upper level finance class, fittingly. And the professor, who was in his mid 60s, did much work with Wall Street in large corporate companies, especially finance ones. So he was familiar with New York and even had friends that lived and worked there. Hearing of the news, he turned on the television and we watched the morning unfold and we were shocked. And he stood there and watched with tears streaming down his face as these events unfolded. I remember he closed class with these lines. Well, that'll be enough for today, Uh, We will be leaving early, but I think it is safe to say that the world will never be the same. I didn't know what was in store the rest of that day. It was still unclear where these attacks were coming from or how many attacks there would be or who was perpetrating these acts. But his words have become very true. Our world has never been the same since 9-11 many loved ones were lost that morning many of our freedoms altered we had a new enemy on a worldwide basis and it would begin a war on terror that many think still goes on and some would argue will go on forever so as we look back over the last 15 years it is interesting to take stock on what has happened where we are now a few of the highlights That I thought of, first of all, Osama bin Laden found and killed, Al Qaeda greatly weakened. And yet with all these battles and wars and killings of our enemies, still some threats of terrorism. Now, opponents of other names like ISIS, lone gunmen that strike terror and cause attacks on our freedom and our very lives. It leaves me wondering, in a free society, can we ever be totally safe? My mom is from Washington, D.C., and so as a young boy, we grew up spending a decent amount of time there. And she and her relatives talk about how D.C. was in the 50s and 60s, and they'd call it our town because it was still back then a very small town and most of the people still knew each other. But even when I was a young boy, The city was a lot more open, even the federal buildings. I can remember when you could walk right into the Capitol building through its very steps and the doors were literally open and you could go walk around this bustling Capitol building. Many of you will remember some even in your day when the White House was this open and available, when the doors of the front door would just open and people could come in and share thoughts and even eat and refresh. But these days... Things are very different. If you've been to D.C. lately, you will know that most of the federal buildings in that area reflect more of a military base than the ways they used to be. The cement embankments that delineate our highways are now used as protection for these buildings. And you go through security check after security check accessing these federal places. The entry line into the Capitol building more now more feels like going to Walt Disney World as they shuffle large amounts of visitors through huge security checks. And I begin to wonder and become concerned about these images of our protection. I wonder if we have put up the same protections and the same barriers in our own hearts and our very lives. You see, in the midst of all this, God calls and invites us, in some ways even commands us to love our enemies. Are you mad? Lord, have you gone crazy? Is this another one of your hair brained ideas where you're inviting us to do things that don't make sense? We can add them to a long list like, take up your cross and come and follow me and die or put others ahead of yourself. Or now this one, love your enemies. These are the people who attacked our country, who murdered our friends and family, who destroyed our cities. These are the people that caused us fear and pain. And I do not want to forgive them or even love them. No, I want to stay hurt in these places. I want to stay bitter and frustrated and angry. I want to stay in that place where I think the other person owes me something. Where they've done something to me and now I have something on them. And I don't have to change and I don't have to grow. And I don't have to open myself up to more pain. Because I was wronged. And so they owe me something. But doesn't God above all know about being wronged? Or being hurt? Or being mistreated? Or stomped upon? In my marriage counseling... Our marriage counselor sat us down and talked to us about these steps to equip us to deal with when this wonderful, lovely person that we were I was going to marry would hurt me or I would hurt her. She walked us through a process of how we would respond to such hurt and such pain, not if it would occur, but when it would occur. And she brought up something as crazy and harebrained as our Lord's idea. She said, when your spouse hurts you, You go to them and share with them how you have been hurt and how you feel and what you need from them in response. I gasped, almost laughing in her face, what an interesting idea for a response to turn to the one who has hurt us to be even more vulnerable and open still with them, to share with them how we feel and what we need. If they cared how we felt and what we needed, would they have hurt us in the first place? But alas, this is the way of health and love and maturity and wisdom and even, many would say, freedom. As we do not turn with the vicious cycle of hatred and revenge, but we turn with love and humility and vulnerability and, yes, even grace and forgiveness. For God invites us to this path of love and forgiveness. This is part of his call and one that he models Himself. It even seems outlandish when God himself does it. My favorite example in John 13, Jesus begins the chapter talking about how we know that Judas is going to betray him. And he still has Judas to the meal and washes his feet. What a wonderful way to respond to someone who is going to betray you. What would I do but run for the hills and guard and put up embankments in my life? And law of bombs and attacks. Now don't hear me wrong. This message is not one on foreign policy or national defense, but on how we care for the very hearts that God has given us and the relationships that he's called us to. Because as we see at the Last Supper, Jesus derobes and washes the feet of his disciples, of us, of even his betrayer. What an interesting way to send your betrayer off with washed feet, well-loved and cared for and well-fed, fed fed at your own table. Maybe something you prepared yourself. What an interesting view of how to treat our enemies. How counter-cultural is this? But isn't that how God shows up in our society, in our lives, in our very hearts? He almost does the opposite of what we would naturally think. And where does this leave us? Hurt, exposed, wounded? Ready to take a beating? No. As I approach my spouse in pain, or more properly, likely she approaches me in something I have done wrong, she is willing enough to be vulnerable with me. She cares enough to take that step to restore the relationship for something that I have done wrong, and she shares with me how it felt and what she needs. And in her act of vulnerability to me in my wrongness, Our relationship can be restored. And isn't that what God is welcoming us to as he washes the feet of his very betrayer and then goes off to die for him, knowing Judas will never even know or even accept that love later. And isn't that what he does with all of us where he comes to us, not on the condition of our acceptance or our holiness or our getting it right or how we will perform. But he comes and he says, no, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And he goes to the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. This is the God who invites us to forgive our enemies. This is the God who invites us to love. This is the God who in the midst of attacks on our countries has the gall to say, don't hold a grudge. Even pray for these people who are persecuting you. Go with me. Back to Nineveh. Think of these calls that God has for his prophets where he calls them into these lion's dens. He calls them to speak to these leaders, to these horrible leaders throughout time, to bring this message of his love and his grace and his repentance. And that is the same message that God brings to us in our hearts. Because friends... One thing I was confronted with this, this week in preparation for this morning is I have perpetrated the same wrongs. The enemy is not some external enemy. The enemy is the brokenness that is within myself. And as I struggle with friends and colleagues about why this call to forgive our enemies is so difficult, God kept leading me back so gently, so lovingly, but to the deep, deep, Hurtful reality that this brokenness resides within me. I am one of the ones that have wronged our Lord that had him up on the cross. I am one of the ones that have turned my back on him and betrayed him. I am one of the ones that have not loved my neighbor as I have been called even my own wife. So where does this leave me in looking to forgive my enemy I realize the forgiveness that I seek must begin here with me. As we talk about many times, change begins at home. And this is no different. Where this forgiveness I seek is not something that I must muster up with my own intentions or goodwill or hard efforts. To find it in my heart, to find something great enough about this person to look on them with good intentions. No, this forgiveness comes with me receiving it first from our Lord. For the broken and hurt places, for the dark places in my life that I keep hidden, for the ways that I don't like to see when I look in the mirror, those places that I need that deep forgiveness of God, that I am not one of His disciples supporting Him. I am one of His betrayers. Okay, maybe I'm just one of the guys that deserts Him when He needs me most. I think the difficulty for me in forgiving my enemies is that I haven't truly received that forgiveness fully for myself and been able to love even the dark places as God does in our lives. See, I realized this week that I look for reasons to justify why I can love someone. I look at the positives or maybe the excuses for why they've done things wrong instead of just the full grace that they don't even deserve it, but I'm going to love them still. So what does this look like in reality on the ground in our daily lives? Well, I have a couple examples for you. First of all, a friend of mine in his firm was wronged by one of his co-workers and he was irate. The coworker had gone against the policy of their workplace. My friend blew off steam to mentors and friends and then came to the conclusion before he addressed this external, objective, third-party kind of issue. He needed a closer relationship with the man. So he did the simple act of inviting him to lunch and he learned about who this man was, about his intentions, about his heart, about his family, about the struggles that he experienced. And all of a sudden the situation was much, much different. The man had compassion for his coworker. And he no longer saw him as an enemy, but as a friend. Abraham Lincoln had a similar thought. He said, the best way to eliminate your enemies, to wipe them out, is to make them your friends. Another example a friend of mine who's a pastor preaches on is a young woman who was assaulted. And she goes to counseling for a very serious matter. And she learns to draw healthy boundaries in her life to protect her from such abuse, which is extremely important. But the counselor also brings up the matter of the heart the matter of forgiveness, the matter of opening herself up to the reality of God's grace, not only for herself, but for this person, her attacker. And so not by her own desires, but by the suggestion of her counselor, she begins to pray for her attacker. And in all honesty, she begins by praying that he suffer hardships in his life and die. And he continues on these prayers for months. And then at some point when she checks in with her counselor, She realizes that the prayers she is praying for this attacker have changed. And it's no longer that he suffers these hardships and then dies. It's just that he dies without the hardships. And then months go by and she's no longer praying for his death, but she's praying for someone to come alongside him and be his friend. And then eventually she's praying for his health and his wholeness. And after a series of many months of praying for this, her attacker, she realizes her heart has changed She no longer holds on to the pain of what she has suffered. And she is beginning to forgive this man. And in this forgiveness, she is set free. Friends, many of the things that God calls us to are the right things to do. I would even argue they are the best things to do. But one of the things that God revealed to me this week is that I don't think he calls us to them because they are the right things or they are even the best things. Although I do believe God wants what's best for us. I think most of all, our God wants us with him. And as we live in the ways that God lives, we are with him. As he says, the kingdom of heaven is near you. It is, as ha- it is at hand. It is as close as our very breath. And I believe as we live into these things as God does, we live into His kingdom and we dwell with Him. We tabernacle with Him. We come together in one body, in one spirit, in one mind, and we worship together with Him in His presence. This is such a huge focus of God. Reconciling all things to Himself so that we can be with Him. At the end of our days, I think God is a God of quality time, and He wants us, His beloved children, with him. And one of His invitations for us to forgive our enemies is that it allows us to continue to walk that journey in that path with God. So this morning, as we remember our loved ones that were lost at 9/ 11, as we give thanks. For our servicemen and women who fight and sacrifice and give their life and time and so much to our own protection. I invite you to remember and look at where we are in our hearts. Cause God invites us to this journey with Him and it is radical and it is countercultural and it is other word worldly, but it is amazing and it is freeing and it is always, always on a journey and a path with us together with him. Amen.